brought to you by MuleSoft. Visit MuleSoft.com to find out how MuleSoft's API-led approach to connecting apps, data, and the Internet of Things can revolutionize your businesses. Hi, I'm David Berlin, Editor-in-Chief of ProgrammableWeb.com, here with a special edition of the Developers Rock podcast. Now, every month in Washington, D.C., there is a special meetup that takes place on the first Tuesday of the month. It is the D.C. Area API Meetup, and this is where many of the technologists from across the federal government get together to talk about what works and what doesn't work in the way of providing APIs from government agencies, not only for internal consumption by developers, but for external consumption as well. Now, if you're interested in attending that meetup, I suggest you go to meetup.com and search for it by searching DC API User Group. And if you go to that webpage, you'll find not only the upcoming meetup and who will be speaking at it, but you may even find a schedule and other users who are attending the meetup. If you want to find out more about the meetup, you can go there. You can also go to the meetup's Twitter feed at DC underscore API underscore meetup as the Twitter handle. So I hope to see you there at the meetup. Meanwhile, what we decided to do is we're going to record all of the different presentations and publish them not only to Programmable Web, but also to Programmable Web's YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash Programmable Web. These presentations will not only include what the speaker is saying, but you'll be able to see their slides as well. And if you go to the version that's on ProgrammableWeb.com, we'll include a full transcript of everything the presenter said. So I encourage you to check those out. So for now, I'm going to let you go and watch this next presentation that was filmed at the DC API User Group Meetup. Thanks very much, and I'll see you soon. APIs 101. So uh, I'm going to give the uh, part two of the talk that I gave last uh, in in uh, in December uh, before the snowstorm. So here we go. Um, just a quick review. Uh, um, if you remember the last talk, I said um, APIs are basically an alternative to a user interface. They're essentially an interface. They're just for a different kind of user than a human user. If you're used to using a cell phone uh, and the interface is designed for humans, APIs is the same kind of inter interface. It's just designed for software and machines. That's a good, easy way to talk about APIs. Um, we talked about the contract and how um, APIs essentially uh, represent um, sort of an, uh, uh, a, an interface that separates the concerns of the consumer and, and the provider. So just like an electrical socket, just like um, Lego. Uh, we also, we, we talked about, here's the electrical socket. We talked about, you know, how um, you have that electrical socket providing 120 volts and then things can plug into it on one side. Those are the consumers and the providers are underneath. And we'll come back to that slide. Lego, of course, you know, has a very specific contract so that all the blocks fit together. And um, in intermodal shipping uh, containers, they have these things called twist locks on them so that the containers can uh, easily snap to trains, trucks, boats, each other, uh, and that involves a standard. And these are all uh, real-world metaphors for the API contract. 
Um, we talked a little bit about how this uh, API, uh, uh, this idea of an API contract does this thing we call decoupling, which basically kind of separates the concerns of the, the consumer, uh, let's say an application, and the provider, which would be um, an API provider. And in the early days, there's been, there's been a long arc of history in terms of separating these concerns. In the early days, we had a technology called uh, RPC, or Remote Procedure Call. And, uh, but today, um, we, when we think of uh, networkable APIs, we primarily think about these APIs that are on the web. Call, they call them web APIs. In fact, I think the name of this meetup is the officially the DC uh, Web API user group. And so um, APIs are, are very much tied to the, uh, um, to the web's protocol these days, most of the ones. There are some newer uh, classes of APIs coming out, however, that are networkable and not necessarily so reliant on the web. I want to come back to this slide because I said that this, in, in this, week, this month's presentation was going to talk about, about the benefits of the contract, the benefits to organizations. And so um, uh, there are benefits on both sides of the contract. Remember, we went, we, when we think about the wall socket, there's a certain pattern to the holes in the wall socket. There's a certain number of volts coming through it, a certain number of amps coming through it. There's a whole specification there. And what that contract does, what that specification makes possible is the fact that you could be the maker of a, of a hair dryer. And so long as you make your hair dryer uh, in a way that is expecting that kind of a um, specification or contract, that kind of electricity, you as the hairdryer manufacturer don't have to worry about the power side of the equation anymore. You don't care where the power is coming from. You don't care if you're plugging it in in Boston or in Washington DC or San Francisco. It should all just work. And you also don't care who's on the other side of that socket providing that electricity and how they're providing it. This is a separation of concern. The hairdryer is not concerned with the provider at all. The hairdryer just, uh, if, the, if the provider provides electricity from coal, nuclear, wind, uh, hydro, uh, uh, solar, it doesn't matter. And so there are, certain, there are certain benefits to this. If you are on the client side, of course, um, you, you just don't have to concern yourself anymore with um, how the power is delivered. You just have to make a plug and make sure that you have the proper uh, transformers and other components inside your device to uh, take the 120 volts running at whatever, 15 amps, and uh, convert it to whatever it is the, uh, the actual device needs. Uh, how many people ever took, have taken the opportunity to um, uh, look at the, uh, the power brick that comes with whatever they buy? Does anybody look at that? A few hands go up. And actually, if you look really closely at it, it tells you what that power brick is doing to the, to the, to the power that's coming out of the wall. It tells you like wh exactly what it's changing it to, like if it's going from AC to DC, and uh, what, how many volts it will provide to the actual device. And that's how you know, by the way, if you need to replace that power brick, if you look at the old one, you can, see, you can read it and say, okay, I need something that does exactly this. That by itself is a contract. So if you, um, if you make hair dryers or computers, if you make electric vehicles, uh, or if you make toaster ovens, whatever it is you make, you don't have to worry about this. This, is, this makes it a lot easier for people who make devices to innovate. They don't have to worry about the power side. It's very flexible. That's a huge benefit because in, in the very old days, imagine if you had to um, uh, take a device off the shelf at the store, bring it home, and 
punch a hole in your wall, rip the wires out, you know, uh, strip the wires, and then and then kind of uh, you know uh, alligator clip them together. That, that that would not work out well. So the, the the reason that people can sell hair dryer companies can sell hair dryers and computers at scale at the scale that they do one reason they can do that is because they don't have to worry about the the power side of the equation. Now. The contract for electricity is different in uh, in some places. So, like for example, the contract for electricity here in North America is very different from the contract for electricity in Europe, and the pattern of the um, uh, of the holes in the socket may be very different. Uh, in fact, across Europe and uh, in, in Asia, you see diff uh, completely different standards for that. But it's still a contract, and so on the. On the provider side is where things get really interesting. And I'm sure some of you are in the, in the business of, of, of providing APIs. And on the provider side, you have this ability to say, well, look, you know, now that there's a contract, I get to make, I get some flexibility here. Um, I just have to deliver 120 volts of alternating current at 15 amps to the, to the socket in the wall. That's all I have to do, and the consumers of that don't know or care how I'm doing that. And what that means is I have some options. I have some options. I can, if I'm on coal right now, and I don't want to pollute the air anymore, I can change to something more sustainable like hydroelectric or wind or solar. That's that could be a big difference. I I could maybe it's maybe coal costs too much money to to run a coal burning plant. Maybe it's a lot cheaper to run wind. Right. So if I want to reduce my costs, I can make the substitution. So long as nothing changes at the socket in the wall, so long as you are conforming to that contract, it's not. It's very very similar to a legal contract, right? A legal contract when you when um when a when a big sports star I'll I'll, I'll I'll use Tom Brady because I'm from New England, right? Uh, when a big sports star um, has a contract with his team, the New England Patriots, there's a contract there, and it specifies the performance of both parties in the contract. It says here, you, the provider, will do this, and we, the consumer, will do this in exchange for that. And so, um, as long as uh, the as long as the the provider here is conforming to the contract, um, the whole ecosystem kind of stays in balance and, and things keep going as they want. The hair dryer won't know if the, if the electricity provider uh, decided to change this, how it is they produce that electricity. So this speaks to an incredible benefit of this contract and the idea of APIs. And so if we come back into the API world, we'll get out of the real world with these metaphors that I've been using, these analogies, you know, there are a lot of different, uh, if you have a, you can have a lot of different consumers of of APIs and a lot of different providers of APIs. I got the consumers on the top, like a mobile phone or, or uh, you know, a server or some other piece of software. And on the bottom, you have other servers. And these are often web servers when we're talking about web APIs, right? And there, and there's and so this gets to sort of the language we like to talk about, which is um, you have clients and they and and many, many, how many people have heard the term client server computing? Client server computing. Okay. So wait a minute. Way in the back there, I saw the first hand go up was you. There you go. Okay, you get a, you get a mule. Thank you very much. All right, and so um, this is sort of like client-server computing. The clients are the API consumers, 
Those are the applications that you run on your smartphone or, or maybe run on a, on a computer. And the, and the servers are the providers, uh, the API providers. So you, you have an ecosystem of API consumers and API providers. Programmable web, for example, you remember I spoke of the directory that we have. Um, all of the APIs in there were put in there by a, the API providers that own those APIs. And so um, they are the providers on the provider side. Developers come, they're the, the developers who build these applications, they are the API consumers, the applications themselves. So what are the different types of consumers? Well, web applications. Uh, today when you go to a website, um, more and more the website is less of a like on a static web pages and more of an application. Um, and they are invariably uh, consuming APIs to put the data and other information that they want on the screen. When you use Google Maps, how many people use Google Maps on, have used Google Maps on their desktop computer or their notebook? Some hands, okay, right. Uh, guess what? That web app is going through APIs and in fact, in many cases, going through some of the same APIs that the mobile app goes through. And that speaks to one of the benefits of having APIs is that you can have one API and it can be reused across a variety of consumers. So you develop this thing once and then you start to get some scale. So um, uh, web apps will may consume APIs, desktop applications may consume some APIs, and I don't mean like Chrome running on your desktop, I mean like an actual application running on your desktop. I use, I, I'm using fewer and fewer of those these days, but one application I use is called uh, Evernote. I don't know, anybody familiar with Evernote? It's a pretty cool app, it runs on the Mac. Okay, uh, and so, um, I thought we were getting like, you know, one of those ads. So um, anyway, uh, um, that application uh, that runs on the desktop actually interfaces with Evernote's APIs online, uh, on, on, on you know, at, at APIs, at Evernote's data center, wherever that may be. And uh, so too do the uh, mobile applications from Evernote, and so too does the web application from Evernote. So you, see you have the same APIs being uh, shared across three different consumer types. Mobile applications, of course, oh, server applications. Servers, server applications often talk to each other. We're gonna hear from Matthew Reinbold at Capital One after I get done talking, and um, I can guarantee you that the APIs that Capital One has in its infrastructure, while many of them may be consumed at some point by the mobile applications Capital One puts out, I can, I'm willing to bet that they have uh, back office business processes that have one server application talking to another server application through APIs and getting their information. Is that, is that a correct statement, Matthew? Yeah. Uh, 95 to 1. 95 to 1. There we go. Yeah. So um, again, reusing APIs across multiple uh, uh, consumer types. Mobile applications, of course. And then you have devices, like the Internet of Things, right? Um, uh, right now, I'm working on um, a little experiment uh, where I'm going to take, I play guitar as a, as a, as a hobby, and uh, I'm, gonna wor I'm working on an experiment where I use uh, a Raspberry Pi, uh, and I put some API, I'm, Loading, I'm creating some APIs on it so that I can remotely control um, whether my guitar amplifier is running in the uh, clean mode or the boost mode. Um, this is like the difference between like really clean sounding guitar tones and like crunchy, you know, hard rock, dirty sound uh, um, from from a mobile phone or from a web app. Like uh, pretty, it's actually relatively easy to do, but um, you can imagine that if you can just kind of somehow find a way to connect 
something like a Raspberry Pi to a guitar amplifier, and again, it's not too difficult, suddenly, uh, and put some APIs on that, suddenly you're creating uh, a new thing that's on the so-called Internet of Things. And so those could be consumers uh, of APIs as well. Uh, so um, we have a lot of different types of consumers. And um, the key here is, is that organizations start to experience uh, significant scale and uh, cost savings when you're sharing uh, um, one source of truth uh, into a back-end system, right? If all these applications share the same APIs, you don't have to make build custom integrations. Uh, I'm oversimplifying it because in some cases you have layers of APIs and the underlying, the most, the deepest layer, the system APIs are the ones that get reused the most. And as you get closer to the application, you might have some more specialized ones. But the point is, is that that reuse is one of the major driving benefits of APIs and why so many large enterprises are modernizing their legacy infrastructure and moving to more of an API-led scenario. Okay. So... Let's talk about the benefits of decoupling, and let's put this in like real terms. You know, I showed you that that um, that's, that uh, graphic before with the hair dryer and the Tesla and the and the computer uh, on top and on the bottom, different sources of power. Let's put this in terms of of, of the the clients and consumers. Let's say um, you are an organization and um, you have a backend data system. Let's say you're an airline. And your backend data system, all of the stuff that controls the, you know, the flight schedules and all, and, and the bookings and all that, is on an IBM mainframe, which is in fact the case for many airlines. Well, that IBM mainframe may be costing you um, millions of dollars to maintain because IBM charges very exorbitant rates for the licensing of its software, the maintenance of its hardware. And you might be looking at that and saying, well, yeah, we put an API around the mainframe so that these different consumers, whether it's a server, whether it's a web app, whether it's a, a mobile phone, uh, an iPhone or an Android phone or a computer, can talk to that application in the IBM mainframe. That's great. We put the API in there. But guess what? That mainframe is gosh darn expensive. We might be able to save some money because now that there's a contract between the consumers and the providers, maybe we move to Microsoft.net or Linux, or maybe we move to Amazon Web Services and we rebuild the entire uh, business system that's in the mainframe in the cloud instead, where it's a lot cheaper, so long as we continue to service that same contract. It's just like switching from solar to wind because as long as the consumers don't know or care, they're still looking for that same contract at the plug in the wall. As long as these consumers are looking for that same API contract, the same specification of the bits that come through the pipe, right? They don't care. They don't care that they're getting it from a mainframe or they're getting it from Amazon Web Services. Doesn't matter. And so what this does is it gives the organization, the flexibility to say, well, you know what? That mainframe's costing us $10 million a year. We can do it on Amazon Web Services for, for $1 million a year. That's a savings of $9 million a year. And guess what? That hits the bottom line in a very positive way. It's very stockholder-friendly. It's very career-friendly when you start saving your organization that kind of money. There are other benefits, too. You're not just always going to make a substitution like that in order to save money. You may find out that uh, the current provider of your um, 
of your systems, you know, the underlying, whether it's Linux or IBM or whatever it may be, maybe they're not performing as well. Let's just look at the clouds that are out there today, for example. Let's say you have your system, uh, you've built your system up in Amazon, in, uh, on Amazon Web Services, but there's also uh, Microsoft Azure and uh, Google Cloud Platform, GCP. Um, you may find that uh, um, one of those platforms doesn't go down as often as the other plat as the other platform. One of the other platforms. You may decide, wait a minute, we're going to move to the other platform because reliability is one of our most important, one of the most important aspects of what it is we do. We can't afford the system to go down, or maybe the security is better. And I'm not, I'm not saying that one has better security than the other, but maybe you decide in, because of some analysis you've done that Google Cloud Platform has the best security. And therefore, um, I need to get off of Amazon Web Services because I really need the very best there is to, in security. Or maybe you go back to Amazon and say, guess what? We're moving to Google Cloud Platform uh, unless you do something about your security. And I'll tell you what, if you have enough money, that will wake Amazon up and they'll do something about it. But the point is, that this contract that's in the middle gives you that flexibility to make those decisions. You can start to make important business decisions, decisions about your security, decisions about your reliability, decisions about your cost that you couldn't so easily make before. And so we're not even into the technical mumbo jumbo of how APIs work. We're just talking about the business benefits of the API. And that's why, um, you know, for me and for a lot of people, uh, it's really important that everybody in the organization understand the, the benefits of APIs, the power of the API to be able to enable these sorts of business decisions, right? It's just like in the old days when people used to enter, um, come out of the work, uh, come out of college with some computer, like PC skills. Before that, nobody, if you came out, if you had PC skills, you were like a rock star, right? The future organization Everybody in the organization is going to have to know this stuff. This is going to be just like the PC skills that people had to have when you wanted to get a job back in the 90s. You're going to have to uh, have these basic skills, have a basic understanding of, of the, the, the power of that contract and decoupling and how that can be such a game changer for businesses. And later in the series, we'll get into how, I mean, if you take, let, let's take Uber. Uber didn't invent anything. How many people use Uber? Oh, first hand right there. Get a mule. <laughs> Fast like Uber. Mule. Um, so so uh, Uber, Uber really didn't invent anything. Uber's, Uber's really a mashup, right? They use Stripe to do, they, 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 borrow, they borrowed a, what? They don't use Stripe. What do they use, Jennifer? Yeah, I'm sure though when they first started, Okay, so Lyft is using Stripe. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. No, it's great. So, so the point is, is that um, you can uh, you can borrow functionality through APIs to build whatever it is you build. Lyft used uh, Stripe. I don't know which one of them uses Google Maps um, uh, to to put the mapping up. Uh, one of them uses Twilio to handle the uh, the phone services and the texting back and forth. I mean, one of the things that most people don't know is like when you call your driver, he doesn't see your number. If he calls you, he or she, uh, they don't see, um, uh, you don't see their number either. 
and that's all done through some a service like Twilio. So um, you know, like three quarters of the functionality that uh, these car uh, sharing services are using don't even aren't even functionality that they wrote, right? And so. To, for, for you as a business person, just in an organization, to understand why it is that APIs enable that kind of innovation and that kind of flexibility, like what I'm talking about here, those are game-changing, those could be game-changing things for businesses. Those can change customer experiences. Those can disrupt entire industries, and, that, and they are disrupting entire industries. And so um, you, uh, it's helpful for everybody to have this sort of basic understanding of why APIs are so incredibly powerful. So I don't want to really belabor, um, you know, we're, I'm trying to keep these kind of tight. We have many more parts of the series to go. So I'm going to end here on the benefits of decoupling. The next uh, part of the series, I'm going to talk about how um, API, uh, an API mindset kind of forces change in organizational culture and how to think about organiza how organizations not only should be organized, but more about what I was just talking about, how everybody in the organization really, really needs to have this kind of um, uh, API mindset to help their organizations um, not only uh, succeed in the future, but survive the disruption of other companies that want to take them out, the same way that Uber uh, and Lyft have taken out you know, taxi cab companies and limousine companies. So with that, um, I want to say thank you. Uh, I want to... Thank you.